the question I want to address this week is, wouldn't the world be a better place without religion? I think that's a great question, and perhaps one of the most significant questions for us to ask in our day. Wouldn't the world be a better place if there was no religion? It seems on the face value, doesn't it, that, 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 that the obvious answer is yes. Um, we are so good as people at forgetting, aren't we? Uh, and not looking back in history and not remembering things that have gone on uh, over the past 50, 100, 150 years. Of course, there was a great world movement, which is in some parts of the world still <coughs> retaining some, uh, some level of success. The communist movement decided that the answer to this question was yes, the world would be a better place without religion. The result of that was horrific. There was a huge number of people who lost their lives. We could also say there have been occasions, and the Christian church have been guilty of this as well, where we have said, uh, not that the world would be better without religion, but the world would be better only with our religion. And the way that we run our country is that we oppose and we persecute any kind of religion outside of our religion. And we can see that that is happening in our world uh, as we speak. We've seen attempts to eradicate religion. But the journey that we've made up to now, we've recognized a couple of things. We've recognized that no matter what, cultures throughout history, throughout the world, throughout time, have always had some level of spirituality. Some sense of the religious has always been part of our human experience. And I would also say that the parts of the world where we have in the past century seen the attempt to eradicate religion are parts of the world where religion and faith is exploding again. So there is a sense in which, I would say, it is a little bit of a moot point to ask whether the world would be a better place without religion, because I would suggest our, human, very, our very human being, what we are as people, says we will never eradicate the notion of religion. Why? Why is that? Why is it so important to us? I think there are a couple of things that make religion and faith and the idea of, uh, of something outside of us incredibly important. And these two things, there are many others, but these two things seem to me very important. We ask questions about two things, our, our origins, where we've come from, and where we are going to. We can't get away from asking those things. We ask them collectively we ask them individually. We can't get away from asking those things. Where am I headed? What is my future? Is there an eternity that I face? Who are we as people? Is something which we are asking. The second thing which religions seek to address is that inner knowledge 
of the issues of right and wrong. We know that there's right and wrong. We know that there is good and evil. Uh, and religions address that very issue in different ways with different answers, different perspectives. They, they hone in and they speak to what we are as people, that sense of justice. I don't think we can ever eradicate religion from our existence. The issue is, to me is bigger than that, though. The issue is this. If we can't, and I would say we can't, which one of all of those perspectives of religion, which one speaks truth? Which one might we look at and seek to find out more about? And that is really our question, the God question that we're asking. So I'm just going to pause there. And uh, I've got a thumbs up from the back, so here we go. Would the world be a better place without some religions? That is a great question. That, that's great. Uh, would the world be a better place without some religions? Let, let me answer it in this way, because I think we often forget this. When the Christian faith really began after Jesus, as it emerged as it found its continu continuity from, from the Jewish faith. The Christian faith came into the, uh, into the Roman Empire and it basically said this, we are not making any demands that you change. What we are looking for is for the freedom for us to worship the God that we believe in. That, is, that was amazing in its day. It was incredible in its day. What it introduced was the idea of the rightness of plurality. The rightness of plurality. The fact that, that we need to have that freedom and that liberty without imposition. So, in answer to that, I would say we, we need to live in a world where there is freedom for all of us to, to engage in religious practice as we believe to be true. We need to defend that right to believe or not to believe. So, we ask the question, would the world be a better place without some religions? I think we mix up religion and power at times, very often. I think very often power is expressed through religion. And the Christian church and other faiths around the world have been guilty of that. Expressing human power through religion. So, so I, I think I would come down on the line of I would defend the right for every religion to exist. We need to have that. Uh, it's part of what it is to be human. That freedom and liberty. It's what the Christian church introduced to the world. But I would encourage us not to mix up religion with the desire of human power. Which is a very different thing. That question, by the way, we could go on for a long time with that one. So I'm just going to pause it there and we'll see if there's a... Are we... Are we can the world survive without religion? 
I would say, that's, that's a real, can the world survive without religion? I think history tells us the world can't survive without religion. It just can't. The various attempts to eradicate it have always, always resulted in aspects emerging, growing, continuing. China is the world's, one of the world's greatest areas for the growth of Christian faith in the whole of the world at the moment. China is exploding in terms of Christian faith. In a, in a matter of less than a decade, the, the statistics say that there will be more Christians in, America, in China than in America, I think, is the kind of numbers. I might have got that wrong, but what it's saying is, in a place where religion was persecuted, it continues to grow. That's amazing. We're going to come back to that idea a little bit later on. Um, the idea of the, 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 the kind of importance and the significance to people. So I would say, can the world survive without religion? I don't think the world has any chance of ever existing without religion <laughs> because it is so written unto us. So I'm just going to... Uh, I'll carry on. I'll carry on and see if we'll see if we carry on with some more later on. So the Christian religion foundations... What is it? We're talking about religion here. Philosophies, moral codes, different ideas, different ways of living, different ways of viewing time and eternity, different voices and experiences. What is this religion that we talk about? And what, what actually makes, from my perspective, what makes the Christian faith Distinct. Why is it different? I would argue that the uniqueness of the Christian faith is rooted in this. That it is not based on a set of moral codes or a set of philosophies or a set of ideas. It is rooted in a person and in the events of his life. And it is rooted in Jesus. And there is one significant event which, which changes everything. We saw a couple of week, past week or so, we've been looking at the implications of the way Jesus was nailed to a cross and the way that he died. We're, we're moving and we're concluding because I think the issue, this issue, speaks right into the idea of religion. We're moving this week to the idea of Jesus rising from the dead. Mark chapter 16, verse 1 to 3. It's the last chapter in the book of Mark. Remember, we started with Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Now we're at Mark chapter 16, end of the book. Do you remember it said the beginning? Now we're at the end. Jesus has been nailed to a cross. He's, been, he's died, surprisingly died very quickly. He was taken down. He was put into a tomb. On the Sabbath, which is uh, Jesus was killed on the Friday, on our Friday, at the Saturday, and then the Sunday, which is the, sat the sorry, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, and then we arrive on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is over, and now we get to the Monday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. 
When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? That's, what he, that's the picture it, early in the morning. They are doing something which is absolutely normal, and, let, and yet remarkably abnormal. Jesus has been killed. He's been put into a tomb. The tombs in those days were rolling stone tombs. That's where the group, the rolling stones, got their name, apparently. Some have said. The roll, a rolling stone tomb. It's a, it's a kind of a cave, and in the front of it is a groove, and there is a round stone, a big stone, which rolls backwards and forwards. Why does it roll backwards and forwards? Because you roll the stone back, you put a body into the tomb, you roll the stone across, and then later on, when the body has decomposed, you collect the bones, and you put the bones into a smaller box, and then the box is then preserved or buried or kept, however that is. So, so this is a normal thing, and yet is an abnormal thing. And I think it speaks very powerfully into the kind of experience that these women were having at that time. They are absolutely grieving. They are shattered. And they are behaving in, in a way which is normal yet abnormal. They want to do something. <laughs> they want to go and they want to anoint the body, which was the custom of the day. They want to anoint the body, but then they trav, they start their journey, and then they say, but who's going to roll the stone away? The normal practice was that the body would be anointed before the stone was rolled across the, the entrance. I, I think it speaks about where they are, where their emotions are. They're the kind of people who, who, who are like all of us. When we lose somebody very close, we, we often we do things because we want to do things and they're not necessarily thought through how we are going to do them. We just respond. We see a group of women who are in profound grief. They are not the kind of people to start a rebellion. They are not the kind of people to start a revolution. They are broken. They are shattered. And they arrive at the tomb. Some have said that the whole idea of the resurrection of Jesus is a hoax which is perpetuated by his disciples. And that is an argument. I don't believe it. I think the Bible, for many reasons, makes it very clear why that can't be the case. And I think this is one of them. It depicts people who are in no sense in a position to start that hoax. And it also is recorded so soon after the events that the idea of something in the past, a hoax in the past, being possible is eradicated by recent memory. 
That's the first thing that we see. We see the shadow of death breaking in on these women, don't we? And in a sense, that speaks about our quest in the issue of religion, the shadow of death, the one thing that none of us can defeat, the one thing that is going to face every single one of us, the thing that we cannot stop, the thing that we cannot exercise or eat or prepare ourselves away from, it is going to happen. It is the great imposter. And it is more than just a natural event. It is a shattering psychological experience for those who are left behind. So we see this shadow over their experience at this moment. And then stepping from that, we see from the shadow of death, the hope of life. Look at how the story unfolds. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. It's not, I love the way Mark recounts this story. He, he sees that they're arriving with this conundrum. How are we going to roll the stone away? Here they arrive, and the stone is already rolled away. The very thing which was a problem for them is taken care of. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Do you see they're not, they're not transformed here? Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They're afraid at both ends of this little narrative, aren't they? They're not people who can change the world, but an event has happened which is beyond anything else that has ever happened in the whole of human history, if it is true. And it is quite simply this, that Jesus of Nazareth died and came back to life. The problem that they had was the stone, and the stone needed to move. The stone moved, according to this narrative, not by the strength or wit of the disciples, but by divine power. He is risen in three words. The world changes forever. It does. We are about to enter into Christmas, aren't we? We are about to enter into Christmas because of those three words. Don't be confused about the idea that we're entering into Christmas because of Jesus' birth. We're entering into Christmas because of those three words, He is risen. We would know nothing about Jesus if this claim did not exist. It is the uniqueness of the Christian faith. The Christian faith doesn't start with philosophies and ideas, moral codes, 
It starts with this event. And it says, if this is true, then it's got to change your life. Jesus, dead and alive. He is risen. Anything, guys? There's another thumbs up from the back. How do we explain all the bad things that are done in the name of religion? If we go back a few weeks, and last week as well, I think hopefully what we tried to address was the, the, the terrible issue of the human condition. That, that by nature, we have a real problem. And we all contribute in some way to a greater or lesser extent to the problem of the human condition. And so when we see the worst of the human condition laid out on our TV screens in the name of religion, that for me is the explanation. It is the worst of the human condition under the veil of religions, under the veil even at times of Christian faith. We must not look back. Now, this is kind of, I hadn't planned to say this, obviously, because it's a question. We must not look back and say, when I look back at what the church has done, that means I can't possibly believe in it. I get why you might say that. But we can't say that because the problem is not the church or the faith or the Christian message or Jesus. The problem is the continuing issue of the human condition. Now, let's just shrink that to be very personal. You cannot say, I'm going to stop worshiping Jesus because that person who claims to be a Christian has upset me or let me down or done something bad against me. That's not Jesus. That's the problem of the human condition. That is, that is what is at stake here. It is what we are as people that is the problem. And in actual fact, if you take Jesus out of it, you are lost of any hope. There's nothing good then, is there? All that we are surrounded by is the worst of the human condition all the time. This is our rock. This is our foundation. This is our hope. So I think that's how we could explain that issue. Would religion be better with, without the large institutions it has created? <laughs> hmm, the institutions of religion, the great sort of monolith of the church, kind of with all of its finery and with all of its... Wouldn't it be better if it wasn't like that? Ooh. I think there's so many possibilities to respond to that. One of the things that I would say is, it is inevitable when there is an amazing, incredible message that it is going to be really big and we're going to find all sorts of ways to use the ideas of this world to communicate it. You go into a huge cathedral and you look at that massive, incredible stained glass window which is just astounding and you think, what is that all about? 
when it comes to the, the importance and the significance of faith in Jesus. Let me just suggest to you this. It might not be quite so relevant now for many, and in fact it might even be a barrier for some, but in its day, it was the YouTube and the communication methodology that had existed at the time. And we move on. So, in one sense, I, th I think, yeah, we can't get away from it, but what hu human institutions always do is they get bigger than the message. They get bigger than the truth. And I think probably every amazing movement of the Christian church in every incredible way that the gospel has been shared eventually has started looking inward at itself instead of carrying on looking at Jesus. And that's a problem, isn't it? And I would say it's a problem in every generation, in every institution, in every gathering. What has happened though? What, what's happened as a result of that? Throughout history, there have been little groups of people who've said, we've got to get away from all of that institution stuff. We've got to get back to the core of the message. <laughs> and so the gospel carries on. And it carries on and it carries on. And, you know, who knows, in, in another 150 years, when there's 20,000 escapes all over, all, over the, all over Europe and there's a church in every single one of them, we might become an institution. There'll be a group of people who'll say, that is just, forget it, that we've lost sight of the message and we've got to get the message again, and there'll be a break-off group, and the message will be retained. Why? Because if that happens, which would be beyond even imagination, if that happened, it would be because we have become an institution rather than holding on to the truth of the message, because that's the problem of our condition. Hope that's helpful. We'll carry on. We've got to this point, he is risen, three words that change the world. I would go even further. I would say it doesn't just change the world. The Christian faith absolutely stands or falls by this. Everything rests on this event. Everything. 1 Corinthians Paul is writing to, to a church, uh, and they're, they're talking about resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13, he says this, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been res raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Let me make it really clear this afternoon what we said what he said there is exactly the same today if jesus did not rise from the dead if he did not live again everything that we have done or that we will continue to do is a complete waste of time everything rests on this because this isn't a religion in terms of a moral code this isn't a religion in terms of a philosophy. This isn't 
religion in terms of a, an idea of the cosmos. This is a religion, this is a faith based on a historical event. It's what we said all the way through this series. It is God present in this world. But also what is Paul saying? He's saying it speaks about our origin and our destiny. More importantly, he's speaking about our destiny. That's what religion is, looking, is doing, isn't it? It's saying, where are we headed? And he's saying, do you know, for every one of us, there is some sense of eternity for all of us. There is something beyond the grave. One of the most trashy films um, in the past, I don't know, 20 years is City of Angels. If you've seen it, it's just trash. Uh, about 6.7 on IMDb. However, it's got a great line in it. Uh, Seth, Nicholas Cage, the angel, is speaking to Meg Ryan about her losing um, somebody on the operating table. And he turns to her and he says this, some things are true whether you believe in them or not. <laughs> wow. You know, that, is, that is amazing, isn't it? Whether we believe in resurrection or not, if it can be true. It doesn't become true if you believe in it. It is true according to the Bible, and therefore whether you believe it or not is an irrelevance. That's what Paul is saying. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, should you believe in resurrection? Well, look at me. That's why you should believe in it. That's why what makes sense of what Mark says right at the very beginning, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It's good news because it says that there is more. It's good news because He comes back to life. But more than that, it gives us hope in the face of death, doesn't it? It gives us hope in the face of death. The grieving women are transformed ultimately. They, they leave terrified, but they ultimately become totally committed to this gospel message. Mark, who wrote this book, in fact, all of the disciples, with the exception of one, apart from obviously Judas, who died before Jesus, all of the disciples, with the exception of one, John, all of them died because of their conviction that the resurrection of Jesus was absolutely true. Mark, who wrote the book that we're reading here, traveled back to Alexandria, and he died by having his body dragged behind horses through the city. Why? Because he absolutely believed that Jesus had risen again. So when I said, why will religion survive? Why will Christian faith survive? I would say Christian faith survives because of the absolute conviction of the confidence that Jesus of Nazareth is no less than the Son of God who has died and has come back to life. However, it does bring hope in the face of death, but it also brings something else. It asks about our origins and destiny, and it talks about that destiny of hope. 
But the other thing that we said religion spoke about was right and wrong and justice. (laughs) And the resurrection of Jesus speaks absolutely about that as well. The resurrection of Jesus isn't some sort of divine magic trick so that you will believe. The resurrection of Jesus has a purpose. We know that we want right and wrong. We know that we want justice. Written into us as human beings, it is a desperate need. We asked the question last week, what about Raoul Moat, the guy who killed himself after killing others? Where's justice there? Could he be forgiven when he comes face to face with God? Acts chapter 17 and verse 31, Paul addresses that kind of issue. And he says this, God has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. Who's that? He has given proof of this to everyone by raising Him from the dead. Jesus' resurrection brings two things. It brings hope for us now when we say, if I trust in Him, I might gain life. But it carries warning as well if we ignore it. Because Paul says that one of the purposes of Jesus' resurrection was to be ultimately the judge. One of the great films, and I've mentioned this before because I think it's such a powerful illustration, great films of recent years is Schindler's List. Oscar Schindler sees a father, a mother and son murdered in front of the girl in the little red uh, coat, if you remember the story, if you've seen it. And he goes back and he ponders the issue that he saw. Why was it that they were willing to kill her kill the mother and kill the son in front of that little girl. And he comes to the conclusion that it is because they believe that ultimately there will never be any witnesses. And we hold on, I I hold on, to the fact that ultimately justice will be done. Justice will be done. Not by me, or you, or state power, or anything else in this world, but by Jesus. That's an amazing concept, isn't it? And at the heart of the Christian faith. We're going to just pause for the last couple of questions. Can our faith and relationship with Christ be classed as a religion. I'm glad somebody asked that. We've talked about religion and we often say I'm not re- we're not talking about a religion here. We're talking about faith in Jesus and lived reality. That's a really helpful question. I know exactly where that might be coming from. Can we call what we do religion? Well, in one sense, it is classified as a religion. But if we treat it just like a religion, we miss everything. 
Religion is something we do. It's something that we do to persuade God that we're good enough. Look at all the things I've done. Is my tick box good enough? Am I good enough to be accepted? Christian faith is not a religion in that sense. It is a faith in Jesus, which says, ultimately, I have not done anything that's good enough, but Jesus has. And I don't deserve life, but Jesus has given me the gift of life by believing in Him. So, if you want to be technical, I think you would technically class it as a religion. But if you live it as a religion, I think we've lost the heart of the Christian message. Will there be an amalgamation of religious beliefs in the future? That's, that, that's a good question. Will there be an amalgamation of religious beliefs in the future? I think, I think the, uh, that there would be others, many, many actually from no religion, who would say that's the ideal. Not religious beliefs should all come together. Now, we have already said in past weeks that one of the interesting things about the faiths of the world is they all carry something of good. However, I would want to say that the faith of Islam has the absolute right to say I'm wrong. <laughs> and they must say that I'm wrong. They must. It must, and, and honor and respect to Buddhism, Sikhism, that says, Paul, you are just so wrong. Because what we're saying, what we've said here, is the distinctiveness of the Christian faith. And I think if, if, if religious leaders were wanting to be true to what they believe, we would all say the answer to that question is we can't come together. <laughs> we mustn't do anything other than respect each other. That's one of the problems that we've got. We've got to respect each other. But it's impossible for us to come together because ultimately we say different things. And isn't that important? Isn't that the most tolerant of worlds, actually, where we are able to say, I really, really disagree with you. I believe you are wrong, but I will fight tooth and nail for your right to hold that view. That, to me, is real tolerance. Real intolerance is somebody saying, outside, you're all the same, you've got to come together. <laughs> That's intolerance, actually. I, I, I love the fact that the Christian faith, in that sense, goes way back to the very first century, and he says, look, we need the right to believe, and we will not demand that you believe something different. I, I think tolerance in our, in our culture is one of the most important things to hold on to, but we have got to hold on to it with a clear understanding of what that really means. So, is there amalgamation? I think it's impossible. I think, I think it would be impossible for me to be accepted anywhere else, and quite rightly so.
hope that's been help. We're going to close by praying. And, uh, and also maybe the promise that uh, in the new year, uh, there's going to be a load of questions that haven't been answered. I acknowledge that over these past few weeks. We're going to find an evening and we're going to just have a chill evening and questions galore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that lies in the resurrection of Jesus. We pray that for every one of us it might be our hope, but we also acknowledge that the resurrection of Jesus carries great warning, and we pray that every one of us might be clear to know that we have understood what that warning is. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that makes himself present as we worship, and we pray that you would bless us as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen.